Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Ruler podcast. My name's Jack Thurston, and this is the podcast for issue 54 of Ruler magazine. And you join me and... Uh, Ian Cleverly, editor of the magazine, Andy McGrath, managing editor, and special guest on the podcast, unexpected guest, Jeff War, um, founding photographer, probably were. Were you in issue one, Jeff? Oh, do you know what? I can't remember. I don't think I was. You're certainly in, into single, single figures or top first yeah, yeah, five. early on. Yeah, I did some stuff in there. Again, I can't remember what it was, but I can remember, I can remember the first issue, and I can remember that I don't have it anymore, and I wish that I had. <laughs> like a lot of other people that had the first issue. I think the pile of magazines by my chair got so big that, that my wife said that a colour was uh, necessary, and that was one of the ones that went out. Well, we're um, sitting outside Spin London, the urban bike show, where Jeff and I have been talking about cycling and photography. And, Jeff, during your talk, you said that the whole style of photography of cycling had changed because of Rouleur? I think for people who have been shooting bikes for a few years, quite a few years, uh, suddenly realised that there was more to it than, than uh, you know, a guy crossing the finish line with his arms in the air. Uh, and Rouleur brought a whole new photojournalistic style to it that, that was more behind the scenes. And for guys that have been in it a long time, perhaps they didn't want to just read news reports they want to read more more uh, meaty text and and it needed the images to go with it uh, uh, and they were quite um, offbeat you know pictures pictures of uh, religious icons by the roadside you know things that we wouldn't really think of taking pictures of that people have started to, to train their cameras on which which made me and hopefully others just look in other directions when they're photographing bike but it's it's had an influence on photography beyond Rouleau magazine so so as the um, you know editorial team how how do you stay ahead if everyone's catching up with what Rouleau was doing you know from 2007 was it 2007 first issues 2006 I think yeah Um, so you know if if Rouleau changed cycling photography and, and it's clearly had an influence on lots of other cycling magazines that will remain nameless for now how do you keep the advantage it's it's a it's a extremely good question and and um, quite timely. I, I received two me- two emails from photographers this week saying, "Hey, I took this great gallery from inside a team car at a race, and it's so exciting because that's the first time they've ever done it." And I just looked at it and I thought, "Yeah, it, it's very nice, but you know, we, we've been doing that for a few years now. It's kind of like, where do you go next?" So I guess that's what that's what we have to work out. But sometimes I 
kind of quite like uh, receiving uh, portfolios from photographers who don't have a background in cycling, are of very good quality, and yet have a good knowledge of the sport. And they uh, kind of sometimes bring a different eye. And it's kind of, it, it is more original sometimes if they haven't been published elsewhere in the cycling media. And that can be quite nice. But it's hard finding the right combination of, of that implicit knowledge of the bike race, where you have to be at the right moment, is actually really hard. Same for a journalist, too. To take a, um, a combative debating position, do you think that those images of the rider's foot in the corner of the frame and then an old lady holding a couple of bags or the, the, the religious icon by the side yeah. of the road, those end up becoming the rider holding his arms aloft? You know, after a while, it's you know, almost a decade, isn't it, that that, that style of photography has really sort of swamped cycling. Yeah, I, I think Where, where's, the, where's the next stage? Well, some of it, I don't know about the next stage, but some of it, you know, um, rulers published series by magnum photographers that I'd never seen before and, they've, and they are obviously um, not cycling photographers and they've done things that really, really get me going You know, part of it's nostalgic, obviously but, um, but they bring such a great vision to, to, to their subject um, and I think it'll, just, it'll be down to the photographers it'll be how they see it in the future how they decide to do it to, to bring a new um, a new style to the to the photography, you know what what annoys me is when people say, yeah, but look, you know that that shoe in the corner of the frame, I could have done that, but actually the deeper you look, the more you realise, no, you couldn't have done that because you've got to see it first and then you've got to put it in the con the whole context of of the feature or you know whatever you're shooting for. I, th- I thought that really struck me listening to your talk when you were explaining the photos that you'd taken and the one of Paris Roubaix where you're standing in a ditch and waiting for somebody to wave a flag at just the right moment in order to cover the sun, yeah. which otherwise would have been yeah, blowing that photo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just thought that was, you yeah. know, that's a perfect indication of, of, of your art and, yeah. and the way you see things that the rest of us just don't kind of quite have, yeah, sadly. And, but that's quite a technical thing as well. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. I need that. I haven't got an assistant who can flag out the sun for me, but there's a guy with a Belgian flag, you know, and it... And it, and it in itself, it tells the story of being there, you know, with the colours. You know, everyone likes to see those colours by the roadside, it seems, you know. Well, that brings us very neatly to um, our, our traditional opening of the podcast, which is to pick uh, a memorable or favourite photograph from the magazine. Um, Andy, do you want to have a first pick? Yeah, um, I'll kick off with uh, one on page 82 of Francesco Moser in full flight in an 84 the 84 Giro and it isn't just the kind of you can see how fast he's going and how how strong he looks it, it's really the faces of the fans and you can tell they're motor fans not Cerrone fans because they're going absolutely mad uh, you've got vineyards too it's it's very Italian and it kind of sums up that era perfectly for me it's the face of a little kid um, kind of completely level with motor which is just fantastic like that's pure joy that's that's what you want to see from kids at bike races. That's kind of oh, this little kid here. Well, that's that's what Jeff. That's that's perfect rule of thirds, isn't it? There, the yeah, little yeah, little little boy there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were talking you know, about the rule of thirds to all us amateur yeah. photographers in yeah. the in the whether talk. Then, whether that's um, you know uh, on purpose or not, I can't tell. But yeah, the thing is, is it's perfectly placed in that in that bottom left hand third where you can see, and he's, and he's got such a great face as well. You know, from from where I am, he's almost crying with excitement, isn't he? Yeah. It's fantastic. He's got the trainers on. Dusty trainers and knee-high socks, perfect. So many eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff, what's your what's your pick? Uh, mine is um, here, and it's uh, Cerrone 
and just get to the page where are we 80, 80. this one fantastic and I like this because it looks like a picture this is 81 page 81 page 81 and it's Cerrone at, at the start of the the 86 Giro and it actually looks like a picture that, that he'd sent to his mum or, or you know it's, it's, it's a snapshot and he looks so suave you know his hair looks perfect not hair out of place he's got the pink jersey on it's sort of the Brian Ferry of the cycling world it does isn't look it? a bit like that doesn't it yeah 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 you know he's it's, it's, it's bronze I mean it couldn't be more Italian if it tried you know you, you could actually imagine that he'd just sneak off somewhere just to chat up some ladies rather than rather than race, yeah. you know. <laughs> it's fantastic. If he hadn't been a pro cyclist, he'd be in a Fellini film. Totally. Yeah, well Absolutely. Him. You know, I mean, you, you know that he's got the best suit in the peloton as well, you know, when he goes out on a, to church on a Sunday or whatever he does, you know. And, and, the, and the background as well, this guy here with the red cap, you know, perfectly. He's got a, the luft, is it called? The luft on his cap's perfect, you know, very casual. But it's super Italian, the architecture behind him. But he looks so suave, that's what I like about that shot. Yeah. Well, frankly, if he wasn't um, in Lycra, he could be a mafia yeah, boss, I think. Yeah, it's yeah, that yeah. kind of face. He reminds me of Andy Garcia a bit and De Niro yeah. a little bit. He's got that look that sort of says, yeah, I'm a nice guy, you know, but, but you could have concrete shoes on if you cross <laughs> me, no? Ian? Uh, a bit of an unusual one for me because I'm going for the um, subscriber cover shot um, which is actually an illustration but it is a photograph by Graham Brown of um, a Peace Race board game cover um, and it was a bit of, I think it was a bit of an odd one for Graham to go and shoot because he just sort of said hey I'm going to Barcelona do you want to do anything so he said well drop in on this guy and, and, and shoot his collection of cycling board games and uh, it's just such a beautiful beautiful Illustration, so and just uh, it perfectly embodies the piece race and that that kind of era of of, uh, of graphics. Lovely. Yeah. No, it's. I mean, certainly a lot of great graphics came out of the piece race. Um, have you still got copies of those um, posters? Are they, are those sold out now? The prints. Uh, I think they're long gone. I think long gone. Long gone. Yeah, they were beautiful. Absolutely. That was Herbie Sykes dug those up. Good work. So my choice is from Andy's feature on. Giorgia Brontini and where is it okay yeah so this is double page spread on page 126 27 and um, it's a great sort of race photograph there she is in the middle a little bit on the page fold there but if you sort of press it out and, and you, can, you can catch it and then but what, what you won't spot immediately but which is extraordinary is that she's actually got a, what looks like a can of beer in her hand in her left hand her tattooed hand i mean they've all got tats these um the women that we can see in the, the front of the race one of them's pulling on uh georgia's back pocket there and then yeah she's got this beer um so what's the story here uh i mean this is during I, I, this is during a race right it is you at a race, yeah. I mean, I, I, fascinating. I, I, lo- I love the fact that I have no idea what the story is. And, and the, the, the woman who's pulling her pocket has obviously spotted the can of beer and, and fancies a, a, a swig. And um, maybe she's got cigarettes in there. She wants a beer and a fag. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, love it. That's Any ideas, Andy? What's going on here? Did you call, call her up and ask her? <laughs> Not yet. I really should. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I didn't see it until yesterday and it's been out for four weeks and we were kind of producing the magazine but my eye was, was always drawn to the woman um, holding on to her pocket um, I'm guessing it's a Giro it's Final Mountain they're knackered let's have a beer have a bit of fun well it seems to sum up um, the, the, the woman a little bit that a kind of 
someone who makes their own journey in life, um, which I which I thought which I thought was a nice. It's always nice when a, a photograph works with the the feature. So, should we talk about Georgia Bronzini? Should we? Uh, we've got, always got comp- competition business to deal with, haven't we? I've got competition. Do you get competition? Competition business. Um, yeah, the winner. Winner from the previous one, which That's would right. have been issue 53, because the question was uh, who introduced the organisers to the Arenberg uh, for Paris-Roubaix, and it was, of course, Jean Stablinski. Um, and the winner was Michael Taylor, and he won a Mavic Cosmic, rather swish Mavic Cosmic jacket, um, courtesy of Condor Cycles. Congratulations, Michael. Has he received it by now? Probably has, hasn't he? Uh, I believe so. I believe so. He's probably do with it today. It's not exactly warm, is it? Well, we have another competition towards the end, won't we? Yeah. So cyclocross orientated. Yes. So stay stay tuned for that. But let's let's get to um, Georgia Bronzini. This is your piece um, from the words perspective, Andy. What a great character. Yeah, it doesn't really come across so much in the interview, but she's very bubbly. She's, she's very fun. She's laughing a lot. So, I mean, it, it's quite a serious interview, I think, in some places, but she's incredibly fun. And she just, she's never conformed to that kind of... I think, like, like in pro cycling, conformity is very important. And a lot of riders feel they have to fit in, and that kind of stops them from making certain choices. But she's always asked questions... And she's kind, she's kind of changed Italian women's cycling, I think, for the better. There were some quite revealing things she was saying about the um, Italian women's manager not wanting to work with women's, uh, with women's staff, which is, is strange because he's also her, her coach and one of her best friends. But um, she didn't get past that. It does sound like the, the, the Italian federation is a bit dysfunctional, or at least the team. I don't know whether it was the team that she was... I couldn't work out whether it was the team that she was on or, or the Italian National Federation or whether there was a sort of bit of overlap between them. But it does seem like she needed to get out of Italy um, and, and she wasn't the only one. That's the thing. Well, she kind of... She led the way. I think it was more the kind of professional teams and I'll say professional in, um, in inverted commas because they were a bit of a mess, frankly. Um, and she realised she could get more money, she could have a better career. And this is kind of at the age of 28, a few years ago. Um, I think she's quite quite underrated. I mean, she's won two world titles. I think she's won at least one race every year. She's been among the best for the last 10 years, and that kind of longevity isn't often appreciated. Everyone looks at Marianne Voss. And not only is Franzini just as fast as, as her, she's arguably much more interesting, fun, and she's got... Um, a perspective she isn't afraid to share, as we've seen in the interview. And so you, you met her down at the Tour of Britain? Yes. Yeah, down in Kent, was it? Kettering. Kettering, sorry. Kettering. Kettering in North Hants. Did you get any, any sense from her and, and the other riders what they thought of the race? This was kind of before the race, the debut race last year. But I think, I mean, I wasn't at the race last year, but from what I've, I've heard, it was fantastic. It, that was a breath of fresh air. And... Hopefully that will continue this year because it's starting in three or four weeks. Is it next month? The women's tour? Uh, hasn't the date moved? I thought it had gone back slightly. But 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 the the overwhelming feedback from from that inaugural race was um, knocked out by the crowds as much as anything. Just 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 you know, women's racing is not used to having such huge crowds, um, and in it, it it shows uh, straight away that, that there is an appetite for it. Um, 
Yeah. It, do, it does seem all the problems that women's racing faces in relation to money, principally, um, and status, and I guess they're related. Um, but it does seem that the sport has the opportunity to forge a slight, you know, it's not so weighed down by the past, maybe, and, and, and the problems of the past, um, and the, the weight of past races dealing with existing structures. There's, there's an opportunity to be a bit more fleet-footed and to create new and interesting stuff, which there's a lot more in a way that's up for grabs I think Mick Bennett and Sweet Spot showed that by, by putting the, the tour on last year you know just, just putting it out there and as a I mean it was quite a big punt and, uh, and it, it showed if you do it if you do it right you do it well it, it can come off um, but there, an interesting comment from um, Simon Burney and this is related this is related to the uh, interview with Helen Wyman that, that, that will be on the end of this podcast um, and he was saying that coming from a mountain biking background um, was that mountain biking was equal for men and women from the word go because it was ground zero. It started from nowhere. Cycling has these hundreds of years of history and therefore women have been on the catch-up. You know, it's, been a, it's, it's a relatively recent thing. When was the first Women's World Championships? 90, Late 90s? 70s? Early 80s? Really? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was something yeah. ridiculous. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, so actually, that was, uh, I was thinking of the 90s, I was thinking of cyclocross. It was something like 90s. The Olympics was, the, was uh, I think, 1984, I think, was the uh, women's uh, cycling in the Olympics. I mean, I guess there's a dilemma about whether you want to create a parallel and equal strand of women cycling alongside all the great men's races or whether you want to set up a whole new edifice that's built in 2015 or whatever rather than what was built in 1906 and, and that's, that must be a dilemma a little bit whether you're just going to have a women's Paris-Roubaix, women's Tour de France in parallel or whether you're going to start having different races. Women's cycling to me seems to be pretty much split down the middle on that is, is, there, is that half, half the people involved in it say it's fantastic to be at the men's race and to have you know the, the, the big crowds and the atmosphere um, and there's the other half saying no we actually need to we actually need to be totally separate and, and to stand on our own two feet so it's, uh, that's a dilemma I'm not sure which is the best I think you should never be tokenist that's a problem that's the kind of um, area you're encroaching on sometimes uh, when you say there should be a women's race with a men's race, it's got to be for the right values and the right reasons. That's the important thing. Um, I just hope it improves over the next five, five, ten years because it seems to be taking kind of one step forward and then two steps back. Uh, every so often we have this kind of call to arms from women races and then it kind, of, it kind of dies down again. So it needs to be a kind of blanket improvement rather than just like pockets like um, in the UK and things like that. Jeff, do you ever photo- get sent off to photograph women's races? Yeah, I did the I did the tour last year for Rouleur. Uh From a from purely selfish point of view, it was great because um, I didn't have to stay over anywhere. I could actually drive from my house to every, the start of every stage. You know, it's tremendous, um, and it was actually really nice to work on. Uh, pretty relaxed, you know, great racing. Um, I would say uh, internationally, and again from purely a. a photographer's point of view we can shoot both races on the same day sometimes you know which is which is fine you know double <laughs> so, the work yeah well it's double the work but it also means you know you don't have to go back again sort of thing so so in that respect it's quite good um i'm looking forward to, to this year as well because it again it's, it's sort of loosely based around 
around my town. And also where it went out last year to, to uh, Clacton, I think, and Felix, though. That's sort of my old manor, you know, where I came from. So that was quite nice to revisit the old haunts. So you know all the, where all the wizened old trees are and all the, um, the, the little ponds of water where you can get the reflections the in and that people. kind of stuff. Yeah, on Frinton Seafront. Um, yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I know the road's fairly well out there. And it's just nice to be back there and, and you know, see what hadn't changed. Um, yeah. Well, we'll hear, we'll hear more from um, Helen Wyman um, at the uh, Q&A following um, the uh, screening of For the Love of Mud, the uh, cyclocross film, um, which is the subject of our, our, our competition. But before that, Ian, carbon wheels. You've been to find out about a lot of technical stuff that was already over my head in sort of paragraph two. <laughs> Oh no, I failed then, Jack. I failed. I I tried. I tried my hardest to to, to sort of uh, to to keep it in the layman's terms because I'm, I'm I I don't understand um, lift and drag as well. Well, it's a, I think you did the lift and drag quite well, but it was the it was the um, woven carbon versus the unidirectional ah, carbon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, your unidirectional carbon. Oh, see, yeah. Jack. Yeah. Um, that's what Paul, Paul Lou says in the piece. And Paul, Paul Lou is the, uh, the design man at, at Reynolds and, and is actually a bit of a legend in, in, the, in the, the wheel-making business and, and not to mention in, you know, several other crazy things that he makes like car bumpers and drones, believe it or not. That's his other business. He said that when he'd gone to Rolf of, of Rolf Wheels and he was doing wheels for him and, and uh, Rolf was going, well, they... I, these are great, but they're, they're, could you make them out of carbon? And he said, well, this is carbon. And he says, yeah, but it doesn't look like carbon. And, you know, if you're going to spend a lot of money on a pair of flashy wheels, you kind of want them to look like... You want people to look at them and go, hmm, nice carbon wheels. Um, but uh, they, they, they got around it now. Fascinating story of innovation. This guy sounds like he's got a thousand ideas in his brain bubbling away. And, and he thinks that everyone who's spending all that expensive time in wind tunnels has, has got it wrong. He does, and um, a lot of people seem to agree with him. I, I, it's interesting when I go to other manufacturers, I say, hey, Paul Lou says that you're, do, you're doing your wind testing wrong, and they go, well, oh, yeah, I've got a lot of respect for Paul Lou, but, the, you know, that's, this is the, the standard. The standard is that you test at 50 kilometres an hour uh, at certain degrees, your, and, um, and these are the results that everybody publishes. But, you know, as Paul Lou says, well, who, who rides in a 50 kilometre an hour wind? You, you, nobody. You wouldn't, you, you'd hardly be going forward. So it, it, in, that, in that respect, it doesn't add up. And that's why he, de- he designs for real-life conditions. And he says a lot, a lot of people aren't. And so his, his sort of take-home message was that the really skinny bikes um, were better than the sort of fat and supposedly really aero from a wind tunnel perspective bikes because essentially those fat bikes are not fat bikes in the mountain biking sense of the word fat but you know the super fluid aero um, frames are creating a lot of lift which yeah. forward thrust but that is purely a function of what happens in a wind tunnel when you're getting a 12 degree side a 12 degree wind which is very unrepresentative of normal conditions so they're basically optimizing the design for a totally unrealistic scenario you said you said a minute ago you didn't understand anything. i understood that bit. you've just perfectly <laughs> summarized it. oh yeah that was the bit you did understand i didn't yeah it was very well explained <laughs> um cyclocross um you hosted a, a, a screening uh, was it the premiere of for the love of mud 
It was the London premiere okay. um, at the Barbican, which was um, great fun and uh, and and very good, very good film by Mr. Benedict Campbell, and um, had a nice little Q and A at the end with um, Helen Wyman and, and um, Benedict himself. Which one? Else? Yeah, so that's a full length feature film about cyclocross that. I haven't seen it myself, but I have listened to the, the recording of the Q and A, um, and from what I gleaned from it, that it covers the history of the of the discipline as well as um, you know what's going on right now. He actually, the, the the subtitle of the film is an introduction to cyclocross, which I think is is actually a good uh, a good description and a good way of going about it. Because otherwise, if you make a film about cyclocross per se, you're just preaching to the converted. The the, the idea of his film is to to explain it, what it is the people who do it, why they do it, why they love it, um, and he's done a good job. Did you see that film, Jeff? I was there, yeah. yeah. I saw it. Fantastic. Loved it. Yeah, yeah. Because they used some of your footage, didn't it? Uh, no, it? no it? I didn't think... Oh, no, no, no. Um, basically, when, when uh, I made a short about the Three Peaks, and, um, and Benedict got in touch just to ask about the various places which were accessible and good to film, and, um, and then he went up there and, and trumped me, really. With, it, with his superior techniques, but but um, it was yeah it was really really good, very good, because I mean it went to, he went to the states a lot where they're, they're you know a, a different take a slightly different take to us, a bit rowdier you know more cowbells, um, yeah excellent, and you can win a copy of the a DVD of the film right, and in, in the Ruler podcast competition this this uh, this time. Yes, uh, prizes a DVD of For the Love of Mud and a, a matching casquette as well. Rather lovely. Um, if you answer the very simple question, how many times has Helen Wyman been national cyclocross champion? Okay, so how many times has Helen Wyman been national cyclocross champion? Answers to competitions I think or it's, competition? I think it's singular. Competition at ruler.cc. Okay, send in those... Uh, answers to be in with a chance to win a dvd and casket of for the love of mud and um we're going to play out with some edited highlights which is predominantly helen wyman not because she was the only one who said anything interesting but um a lot of the rest of the uh conversation in the q a was specifically about the film and if you've not seen the film then it doesn't make quite so much sense so uh that's it for for this time isn't it on with the Giro, back to the hipsters in uh, Spin London. Yeah? <laughs> I'm going to grow a beard before I go back yeah, yeah. in. I don't want to fit in. I can't, I'm too young. A bit bum fluff, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I've got no chance. Uh, <laughs> Look at me. Well, thank you very much for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. Cheers. The uh, inexorable rise of cycling in this country, to my mind, Cross seems to have got somewhat left behind. Does that sound? Does that ring true with you? And if so, how do we grow it? And obviously, your film's a good start. We need to get people to see this. But yeah, well, it's that's why I made a thing about the Supercross. Um, the American, it's growing so quickly over there because they know how to have fun. Mm. The end of they really know how to put on a good fun race, and that's what the cross races need to be. They need to be more entertaining to attract more people. I mean, um, one question I'll put out is, uh, so can you put your hand up if you've never raced a cross race in this room? Okay, right. Now put your hand, keep them up, keep them up. 
Now, put them down if you're still never going to race across race after watching the film. <laughs> so the ones up, that's pretty good. See, do. so do. That, that's that's kind of what the film is to do: is to try and ex- to show you what a great world it is and how fun it is. I think when we get the opportunity to showcase our sport, we do a really good job. And the Milton Keynes World Cup was one of the best World Cups. Yeah. And you know we had over 10,000 people attended that event and only 9,000 went to Coxider. So it's not that the sport isn't big when you give people the opportunity to showcase it, it's just that maybe the opportunities aren't there unless there's someone driving it. So, yeah, um, I know Richard wants to do another World Cup in the future. They can't this year, but, you know, maybe that's how you drive it, by you inspire people there. And, and that was one of the best World Cups for me because the crowd were just so crazy loud and it was just truly emotional and you saw Ian I know he's weak but he cried on the podium <laughs> and it's like it, re- it really felt like that you know and um, that and it must have felt similar for the people spectating because it, it was just a fantastic atmosphere and maybe that's how you you grow the sport by giving them top quality events that they can they can come and support but is there also uh, maybe an element and I, I'm just I'm just throwing this out there um, that you have to be sort of careful what you wish for in so much as uh, who is it? Ben Burden said said it's it's great. It's like a little family that you see every weekend moving around, and you you probably get it because you're in you're, America. You're, yeah, but in it, Europe, it's but, yeah, not but you're a you're seeing the same bunch well, of people maybe. every weekend, just maybe, yeah. with a few fans thrown in. Um, Depends on But your you know family. what I'm saying? It's like the, the, that <laughs> that level of success. You does the sport get to a point where you actually kind of think, actually, this isn't my sport anymore. Maybe I'll go and find something weirder to go and do. Because isn't that part? Isn't that part of the appeal in the first place? Yeah, it's weird. Maybe. It's weird. I don't want to be normal. Yeah, yeah maybe. I think in uh, I, I'm in, I'm encased in the Belgian situation, and in Belgium, it's perfectly normal to ride a cross bike. Yeah, it's yeah. perfectly normal. It's like, you know, Sven Nys has been Sportsman of the Year multiple times. So it's not you know it's not weird over there. But in other countries, so in England, in America, it's very much about the fans and it's about participation and it's about everybody enjoying it and having a lot more fun. And the two courses are going very separate ways. And both work. So it's not that, you know, it's not that Belgium's got it right or that America and England have got it right, but the two just don't mix (laughs) very well. (laughs) But, yeah. Yeah. very interesting comment from Simon Burney there saying coming from an empty mountain bike background where it just started you know there's no question of it yeah it's it's equality from 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 the word go and that about how the women are playing catch up um it's I mean you're part and parcel of that trying to yeah to catch us up yeah uh How's it going? I mean, do, 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 do you have to go to the UCI sort of bang your fist on the table and go to sort of internal meetings? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you might quite be quite good at that somehow. Um, it. I thought I was better than I obviously am. Um, it, it was going good. It was going really good. We got um, our race times moved to the right time. We got equal prize money for C2s. We got... Um, equal parking which doesn't sound like a lot but it means you get better media coverage and yeah. things um i managed to get equal prize money for a c1 at koppenberg last year by getting an american sponsor in um but then it's 
like banging your head against a brick wall when it comes to to World Cup prize money and to progressing the sport further for because we only do 40 minutes at the minute and now it's a minimum of 40 minutes but I want 50 minutes and then I want an hour and that seems that's an impossible task and it's currently frustrating <laughs> why why is it so difficult who's standing and are we talking about guys with with totally ridiculous old-fashioned attitudes who refuse to change no it's not that that anyone disagrees that it's unfair because at the minute the world cup first place for a man is five thousand euros per round and for a woman it's one thousand and then for 11th place is 220 euros and for the 50th place man bearing in mind that most world cups there's between 45 and 50 finishes yeah and 50th is six laps down gets 300 euros Mm. so to me that's outrageous and everyone on the committee agrees it's wrong but every single proposal i've put to them they have blatantly refused so it's they don't want to take from the men to give to the women but how do you find a deficit of three of thirty three thousand euros per round yeah where do you find that yeah one of the things that you've mentioned is is the growth of the sport in the uk um i race very occasionally or go around in circles in the field at least and really enjoy it. I think it's something that I've noticed my friends have definitely taken up in the last couple of years a lot more so I think it's becoming popular I just wondered your thoughts on the use of social media particularly around it because I know Helen uh, you and I have actually talked on social media a fair bit and you're very good on, on that format and I just wonder what your thoughts are on that as a way to encourage participation in the sport and to kind of articulate what the sport's about um yeah yeah i mean um for me it's a lot more important to be able to use social media women women's cycling has has um developed a lot quicker because of the use of social media and we kind of know how to do return but um i think i think to grow the sport in the uk you probably need to to show that there are top riders up there that are able to make a living out of it. And and for the young kids coming through, if they don't have a Sven Nace to look at from their country, they don't necessarily see how they come from 14 to him. Um, and so that in that case, social media is a really, really important role for that because everybody's on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. And And I genuinely think that it's possible to make a career out of it. And um, the two young girls coming through at the minute, Amira Meller and Hannah Payton, um, we set up a GoFund page for them to try and get them some funding to get to the American World Cups because there's no actual funding for them. Um, And within 10 days, they'd made their £1,500 target. So, you know, I do think that by encouraging um, the, the younger riders that, to stay in the sport, you you create something at the top that people can aspire to, but at the bottom you still need to grow people that don't necessarily want to be the next world champion, but just want to ride their bike for fun. And and that way you do it through showing people that it's a family day out. It's safe. It's you know kids can come and, and just play around with their friends and and ride around all over the place because they're in a contained venue and they can't get out. And you know they're when every race in America is just genuinely, there's just kids everywhere, not on the course, but just 
everywhere and the family there and the mums raced and the dads raced and they're all staying to watch all the rest of it and and to me that's how you grow it because they then tell their friends and they're sat under their little tents having beer and trying to do hand-ups and all that kind of thing and they tell their friends and their friends come along and they bring their families and, it, and that's how it grows at the the bottom of the pyramid and to me that's how you make cross bigger but in terms of at the top I think you need someone um, you need role models for people to know that I was just a kid that started racing in the Eastern League and you know now I'm second in the world so anything to add Bernie? yeah well, ex- yeah same really um, <laughs> that's why um, I because uh, I had a few uh, the Americans saying, well, what's with the Ben Sumner? Why is he in the film, you know? And I said, uh, he's just to show, to illustrate that you go from being just a local kid that does really well to riding for your country and becoming like a neo-pro. And it's, it's just uh, to show that there is something that you can achieve, you know, in that sense, that you can go up. But it is... It, the sport really, you know, we keep saying it makes you smile, but it really does, like you know, light people up like any more than any other cycle racing there is, and it, you just have to coax friends along. You know, it doesn't matter just to go round a few laps and just show them how much fun. Something they do in America as well that we don't do in this country are actual cross clinics. Yeah, and and I run cross clinic at a midnight ride, which is a night race, evening night race, and they. We have about 40 people over the, the two days and you we actually have the venue to, to train on so we can practice the course and ride. And on the cross clinic every year we have maybe 10 or 15 people that have never raced a bike, never raced a cross bike before and that's their first event. Mm. And so they come to the clinic and they learn a little bit about it and get to practice the course and then race. And And every year you go back, you get the same people coming back and every year it grows because those people thought it was fantastic the first year want to learn more skills now they've had a year of racing and things and and then it moves on from there and and then they tell their friends and their friends are the newbies that were them the year before you know yeah and maybe that's something that the uk needs more of things like milton Keynes world cup do provide that opportunity because you you've created a venue you've got a fantastic venue that made a, an amazing race and all of the best riders in the world were there on that day so if you introduce people to the sport, you know, maybe... I don't know. I don't know if uh, people that play football go and watch football. I don't... I'm not really sure if the, the same percentage works, but um, if that's the case, if you play football and you still go and watch your favourite team, then why would you not go to World Cup, see the best riders in the world and be further inspired from there to do that? Um, and again, through social media, um, to, to, you know, to use social media to get... To, for people to see that there is something else out there and the UCI are trying to do things with like the YouTube channel um, they have a cyclocross YouTube channel um, where they show the World Cups and everything but you have to be interested in the sport in the first place to actually go search for that and you can watch every race in Belgium on live feed now I think most races um, and again you have to know that to go look for it but maybe by introducing people into it they then start 
looking further into it, maybe. I have a question, but just to let you know as well, I started cyclocross this season off the back of a clinic. So Good work. It is happening. Well yeah. And I'm currently trying to recruit um, Libby here to join me <laughs> next season. You should, Libby. <laughs> um, very quick question, because I know it's getting on. Um, was there a trigger moment that inspired you to write that open letter? Um, yes, there was, actually. Um, there's a young kid in the UK called Daniel Tullett. And he um, is incredibly good. He won the support race at Coxider World Cup. Um, he's national champion. And he... Uh, how do I put this politically correct? He... The, the system of British cycling is fantastic. Wouldn't knock it. It's created Olympic and world champions. It's a fantastic system. But when a rider becomes incredibly good at cyclocross... They want him for mountain biking or they want him for road or they want him for something else. Because if a kid's talented, they're talented and you can turn them into anything you want them to be. Um, so his options were the best professional cyclocross teams in the world who would pick him up 16 years old and develop him into the next Niels Albert, Sven Nies, you know. Or he could go down the Olympic route of mountain biking of the Olympic development programme. And my letter was written to say to riders like him and other riders, look, guys, it's 2015. This sport is financially very, very good for men. Um, it's good for women, but it's incredibly good for men. And there's no reason in the world why you can't ride cross for six or seven years from when you're 16 and then you do what Lars Boom has done, or you do what Stivar's done, or any of the other riders that have come through one junior under 23 elite worlds and then gone to road. And you're not tired because you don't have to train for as long, so your body's not as tired, and your races are a lot shorter, and you pick up less injuries. And so you're, because there's less of you, you're, um, you're helped a lot better. You're, you're, not, you know, you're not just used and abused because there's not another one to replace you. And... And he's the biggest talent I've seen in cyclocross since Roger Hammond. So, and he was junior world champion. So there's no reason why that kid shouldn't follow the path of cross. And he loves it. And so I just wanted to say, you know, guys, if you love it, do it. And put your work in now and put a few sacrifices in now. But you can have fantastic rewards. And my life is great, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I trained as a physio. I worked in the NHS for two years. And I would not change a single day since that day I left. And I hopefully, you know, Kona will keep paying me for another another ten years. But <laughs> okay, well, if everyone's in agreement, um, I think we'll say thank you very much to Helen and Benedict, and um, good night. Thank you, Helen and Benedict. Thanks for downloading this edition of the Ruler Podcast. You can read Ruler magazine, which comes out eight times a year, by taking out a subscription. Go to www.ruler.cc or you can pick up the latest edition at a growing number of bookshops and bike shops. If you've got an iPad, you can read the magazine on the iPad. Not only the current issue, but a handful of back issues as well. You'll find it in the Apple Bookstore. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.